Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Welcome to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personalities shaping the stories. Special Edition is a production of Intercom Communications. Welcome to Special Edition. I'm Paula Dagnan. This week, we will be catching up with, yes, it's still counting, the census in Pennsylvania. We're also going to find out where the party's coming in Luzerne County, maybe to a neighborhood near you. We'll also find out about some getting back to work tips as many people continue to do that throughout the month of July. But we're going to start off with our focus on the elderly and those in personal care, nursing homes, and other types of facilities, as well as elder abuse. To address that topic of elder abuse, we'll be hearing from U.S. Attorney for the Middle District of Pennsylvania, David Freed. We'll also be hearing from Senator Bob Casey on what's been happening on the congressional front. And starting us off today on Special Edition, Bill Johnston Walsh. He is the Pennsylvania Director for AARP, and he explains how they have been involved in all of the nursing homes and other care facilities throughout the state during COVID-19. Tell us about AARP. Sure. AARP is a national uh, nonprofit membership organization. We have 38 million members across across the country. Uh, right here in Pennsylvania, we have 1.8 million members. Um, and uh, what we do uh, for our members uh, on the nonprofit side, which I represent here as the state director uh, in Pennsylvania, is we do advocacy, outreach, and education on, on all issues that impact the 50 plus. Well, and I must say, I am a proud member, so there you go. <laughs> excellent, excellent. I'm really glad to hear that. <laughs> and, you know, when when people think of AARP, they usually think of insurance, they think of travel, they think of, but it, as you're explaining, it's, you're so much more than that. And especially with this COVID-19 situation and the nursing homes, how have you played a part? Well, uh, we've, we've played an important part, I think. You know, we've been hearing from our, our 1.8 million members here in the Commonwealth and, and other families that are just devastated by, by what's happening. Um, uh, no family should be going through uh, what uh, these families had to endure um, uh, for what's been happening in the nursing home uh, situation during this pandemic. Uh, 
in, in Pennsylvania, there's roughly about 700 nursing homes with over 80,000 residents uh, at any given point, between 80 and 100,000. Um, the COVID-19 cases in those nursing homes since, since the beginning to, to date have been over 20,000. Um, the deaths in those nursing homes uh, to date have been over 4,000. That's almost 70% of the total of the, the deaths in the Commonwealth. And we just feel that that's just unacceptable. And we've been working with the governor, with the nursing home industry, and with the federal government uh, to see how we can, how we can work on, on this issue and make sure the safety and wellness of those nursing home residents and the staff are kept right in the forefront. So what have you been doing and what have you been finding out that had been lacking? Well, we, what we've been doing is we've been, we've been focusing at the state level on, on testing, regular testing. Uh, we've been working on uh, PPE, so th that's the mask, the gowns, um, and the gloves, making sure that the nursing homes have those. We've been looking at uh, daily reporting. Um, there was a point that we had no idea what nursing homes had the virus, how many deaths were in those nursing homes based uh, county by county. It was just a general number, and we were able to fight for to make sure reporting was done by the Department of Health. And then the last thing was virtual visitation. So. Um, what ARP did is we, we were able to get the governor and the state legislature to have regular testing. Now, the devil's in the details because we fought for that. There's a, uh, there's a baseline testing for all nursing homes in the Commonwealth that the governor set to be done by July 24th. So you know we're in July now. Um, we're, we're coming upon that. And we can tell you that there are some nursing facilities that have been doing um, regular um, a weekly testing of, of their staff and, and uh, residents. Uh, there are some that have done sporadic testing, uh, that kind of once and done testing, and that could have happened months ago. And then there's others that have not had any testing done at all. Um, so we're really, we're really trying to get everyone on the same page and trying to get them to get to this July 24th deadline. The other piece is with the protective uh, 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 equipment, um, the personal protective equipment, uh, like the masks, like the gowns and and the gloves. What we've been finding is that uh, hospitals, for the most part, have had no problem getting this. Nursing homes have had some issues working with the, uh, the providers, working with the, the state and federal government to be able to get these. We've been finding that in some parts of the state, there's been plenty of gowns, but there's a shortage of masks and, and gloves. In other parts of the state, they, they don't have the gowns, but they do, they do have others. So, so it goes back and forth no matter, no matter where you are. What ARP is trying to do is making sure that this is a level playing field across the Commonwealth. Um, we, need to, to, we need to use these months right now um, to start building towards the fall and the possibility of a, a second um, outbreak of, of the pandemic. Um, and, and we want to make sure that the nursing homes are on the same level as, as others. Um, uh, like hospitals throughout the Commonwealth. Why do you suppose that would have happened, that there would have been such a disparity between hospitals and nursing home facilities? I'm not sure. Right, right from the very beginning of this pandemic, ARP, um, uh, has, we've, we've, been, we've been jumping right in to say this is unacceptable. The, this, the nursing homes have been the hotbed of, of the virus, not just here in Pennsylvania, but across the country. Um, and, and what we've been trying to, to make the point uh, is, is, you know, you, you t the governor um, and, and the secretary of, of health have been doing a good job. You know, they were thrown into this pandemic as well, um, and, and they've been doing a, a pretty good job of doing this. But where they've been falling down, in, in our opinion, is with the nursing homes. 
you know, right away, you, you know, we've heard about hospitals. We heard about businesses. We even heard about when golf courses were going to be opening up. We just wanted to make sure that nursing homes were at the same level as all of these other important issues. Um, and that has not been the case. And uh, we're slowly getting the governor and the state legislature to that place right now. Um, it's a little late, um, but but better late than never. And and we want to make sure that that um, these that are residents, staffing, and their families are where they need to be um, as we move forward. Would you say that? And I I know this is going to sound kind of odd, but this whole the whole COVID nineteen pandemic almost sounds like a double edged sword. It wasn't good. But at the same time, it did open up a lot of issues that maybe otherwise would still be not known. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah I guess you could put it like that. I, I, I wouldn't <laughs> say the COVID pandemic was a good thing, but yes, what, what it's doing is it's shining a light on long-term care in the Commonwealth and, and, and letting people know that nursing homes are part of the continuum of care just like home and community-based services are, pe- keeping people in their homes as long as possible, assisted living, personal care homes. They're all important pieces of the puzzle. Um, and, uh, up into, uh, you know, they haven't been funded the way they should have been, should be funded. And, and you're right that this pandemic has shown a light on that. We've been able to get $500 million down through the CARES Act from the federal government uh, that was uh, allotted through the, the state legislature and signed by the governor to go to the nursing homes to help them. What we're looking for now at AARP is, is to, to put uh, additional pressure that in the next stimulus package that comes down from the federal government, that they really focus in on nursing homes, focus in on, on money for testing and reliable testing that we can get out there, focus on the, on the, the PPE, uh, get, get additional dollars to get the protective gear that we need, virtual visitations or, or you know, making sure that we have the equipment in place that will, that will allow loved ones to, to talk to the, the residents um, and their families, um, you know, th- throughout the, this piece. We, at AARP, that's one piece that, that one small piece of the pie that, we, that we've been helping out with. Uh, we, would be able, we were able to work with the governor um, to uh, reach out to um, a handful. Like, as I mentioned earlier, there's 700 nursing homes. We were able to get into about 50 to 60 of those nursing homes with some virtual uh, equipment, uh, some iPads and some cell phones, so that family members can uh, work, uh, can contact uh, their, their, their uh, the residents, the loved ones in the in, in the facilities, uh, so they can start having that conversation because social isolation is not a good thing. And and what we what we've been seeing is the depression levels of these residents have just been skyrocketing. So many, again, so many positive things coming out of this because the whole idea of virtual communication, even on a daily basis in a time of no pandemic, is sometimes probably not even thought of because if you can't get there to see someone, you know, what other recourse would you have? So, again, you've talked about shining the light and opening another door there. What would you suggest to um, even residents? to families of residents to do in order to, again, bring more awareness to all this that is going on and that they have been dealing with? Because there may be a lot of people who are listening who have no immediate dealing with a nursing home today, but tomorrow could be a different story. 
That's exactly right. Uh, nurse, the, the long-term care piece will touch everyone, whether you're going to be a caregiver, whether it's a, a close loved one that's, that's uh, in, a, in a facility right now or, uh, you know, you're caring for them at home. Um, what ARP doing, is doing right now is, is we're focused. You know, we've been focused at the state level. We've been really pushing the governor and the state legislature and, uh, and, and moving in the right direction, we believe. Uh, we just, we're just not there yet, and we need to continue. Uh, it's really now the focus is on the federal government. Congress needs to do another stimulus package, um, just like they did with the CARES Act. Um, and what family members can do and what community members can do is they can contact their state legislators. Um, excuse me, the federal uh, Congress, uh, Congress people, um, Senator Casey, Senator Toomey, and just really let them know how important this is, that there are dollars that are, that are really specific towards uh, the, what's been happening in these nursing homes and getting those dollars down on a timely basis so that we can, we can stop this and stop, you know, pretty much the, the killing of, of our loved ones in these facilities with this, with this virus. Bill, anything that you would like to leave as a last thought to our listeners today? Sure. The, the one piece that, um, you know, going back to the virtual visitations, I just want to give a shout-out to Senator Casey. Um, he, he has really been uh, focused in on, on nursing home issues, and one of, the, one of his bills is to get uh, uh, equipment, money for equipment, down to the state level. It's a bipartisan bill that he's doing with Senator Cassidy from Louisiana, um, and uh, we really are uh, supportive of that and, and, and really would like to you know, thank, thank the senator for the work that he's doing um, on that front. Uh, with us uh, right now, we have U.S. Senator Bob Casey, ranking member of the U.S. Senate Special Committee on Aging. Uh, good morning, uh, Senator Casey. Thanks for being here. Hey, Nancy, good to be with you. Thank you. Hey, uh, you just held a hearing uh, caring for seniors amid the COVID-19 crisis. And obviously, uh, we saw here in Pennsylvania, as we've seen uh, in, in different states, uh, that nursing and long-term care homes were hit very hard. Uh, tell us a little bit about, you know, you talked about that at the hearing, uh, some of, uh, you know, the what went wrong and the what, what can we do about it moving forward? Well, Nancy, this is a, a part of a, a larger national tragedy, but I, I'm not sure there's any aspect of this challenge that the country faces, both a public health challenge and an economic and jobs crisis. I'm not sure there's any part of it that's more tragic than the the death of so many seniors, not just thousands now, tens of thousands in in nursing homes. And when you add the, the uh, number of workers who have lost their lives, the last count I've seen is more than 34,000 residents and workers in long-term care settings, and that's obviously a little broader than nursing homes, have died making up about a third of the deaths nationwide. So if that doesn't get your attention, nothing will. And unfortunately, in Washington, uh, we're not legislating. We're, you know, I spent three weeks uh, going to Washington voting uh, prior to, to Thursday or Friday, and all we voted on basically were nominations. Not a single vote in those three weeks, the entire month of May, really, uh, on COVID-19. We should be voting to strengthen the programs that have put in, been put in place, add more funding, but especially to attack problems like uh, the nursing home challenge. And part of that is not only holding the homes accountable and holding the federal government accountable to get the information that families still don't have and communities don't have, but also to help the nursing homes. Nursing homes, you can't ask them to, to do all kinds of things that we're asking them to do now, which we are, 
whether it's infection control or whether it's separating people, so-called cohorting. They can't do that with pennies. They've got to be able to pay for it. And if you really care about seniors, we'll not only hold the nursing homes accountable and, and be really tough with them when they don't measure up, but you got to help them. you got to provide funding. I have a bill that provides $20 billion to do just that. Oh, so let's talk about uh, the uh, the fact that when they were hit hard, obviously PPE was a problem. We were we were uh, we had states that were actually it was kind of like as they called it the Wild West, uh, going out trying to get PPE, and a lot of the focus was on hospitals. But obviously, uh, the nursing homes uh, suffering as well uh, with a shortage of PPE. That was a big problem. Do we have a plan to help that in the future? Well, the administration doesn't have a plan. They, they haven't had a plan on PPE uh, or on testing from the beginning. Still, here we are heading into June. And it's not as if they haven't been uh, given the dollars. Uh, we've appropriated billion after billion, tens of billions, on on both testing and um, uh, and on personal protective equipment. And look, what the president should do and what we've urged him to do now for weeks and months now, it's literally months, is to use the Defense Production Act to uh, to take over companies if necessary to produce the PPE. Now, if, you, if you're not willing to do that, then you're just not, you're not willing to fight the war with, uh, you know, both fits. This is a war we're in. And there are a lot of companies out there that want to help. There's a plenty of examples in the press about a, about um, uh, business people that wanted to produce masks or gloves or gowns, whatever it was, and no one in Washington would call them and, and set up the set up the mechanism to be able to support them. So my point is, whatever it takes, whatever it costs, you've got to get the PPE that we're going to need for next month, three months from now, three years from now. In other words, we have to keep producing this. Mm-hmm. Not as if the crisis is over. We may be we may be slowing down, and thank God if we are. But there's going to be a, a resurgence in the fall. All the, the public health experts say that. And guess what? We should assume they're right. It's better to assume they're right than assume they're wrong. So we need a lot more PPE, a lot more testing. And that's especially true in nursing homes because you can't get this problem under control or prevent it from resurfacing in nursing homes without PPE testing as well as other support for those. Yeah, about the people that work at uh, these facilities and and even working at hospitals, healthcare workers. I mean, obviously we have uh, people who are putting their lives on the line to help others. And uh, and there has been uh, talk about uh, premium pay uh, for people as well. And I know that's something that you had been talking about. Are we seeing any support about that in any other sector other than uh, what the Democrats have been working on? Well, there's good news and bad news. The good news is what, is what Democrats have been working on. I know that sounds like a partisan statement, and some listeners will say, oh, my God, here they go again, just talking about their party. But to be blunt about it, the only party that supported pandemic premium pay, meaning for all frontline workers, the healthcare workers, as well as every, I won't even begin to list the occupations because I'll leave somebody out. But So we're talking about pandemic premium pay for tens of millions of Americans, not millions, tens of millions. My, I also, so I support that effort. The House has a version of that in the, in the House bill that passed the House, and the House did the right thing by acting on legislation and getting it passed. Um, but the Senate has, has, has uh, rejected it categorically, meaning the Republican majority in the Senate. So we're left with, will we get a pandemic premium pay for all frontline workers, or will we get something uh, less than that? 
I have a separate bill that's complementary, not meant to be in competition with the so-called HEROES Fund, but also a, a separate focus on healthcare workers. Now, that's obviously a smaller number, mm -hmm. but it's still probably a double-figure millions number. For example, we know that after World War II, and a lot of veterans in northeastern Pennsylvania benefited from this, the GI Bill. Right. We said if you're, if you're 18, 19, 20 years old and you're on a battlefield in Europe in World War II, you're not in a college or classroom or a junior college classroom at the time. So we're going to give you the, the support that you should get uh, to, to uh, manifest our gratitude for what you did in World War II. We should have a, the same kind of GI Bill type effort for these heroes who are on this battlefield fighting this war against the virus. And if, if I could talk about frontline workers, um, I think the healthcare workers are at the front of the front line. So I have a bill, the Pandemic Responders Service Award Act, and it would focus on healthcare workers. In essence, it would be just like the GI Bill. It would, it pr would provide them with an education benefit. That's right. the crux of it. So I hope if, if, if the larger HEROES Act doesn't pass, that this could be maybe a, a substitute for that. Um, but we're a long way from getting bipartisan sure. consensus. Right. Because, like, either. yeah, yeah. right. Uh, just to, uh, two more questions. These are not really having to do with the uh, senior issue, which is obviously uh, first and foremost. But uh, as we're seeing across the country, um, you know, a lot of a race to get people back into the workplace. Um, right. I, I, there is a lot of concern, and I wonder what your thoughts are just quickly on uh, the responsibility of the workplaces to protect the employees. Uh, because, um, you know, you see this rush to get people back, and, and, you know, we hear from business owners who are anxious to do so. Uh, but there is concern that uh, are they doing everything also to keep their employees safe if they are coming back to work? Well, I think most small businesses, um, the overwhelming majority, um, are taking the steps they should take. They're being very careful. They're being thoughtful. And just like business people innovate and figure out a better way to do things and help the whole country, I think small business owners will figure out the best way to open a business, what works, what doesn't work to keep people safe. Mm -hmm. So that's not a, I don't think that's a big problem. I think people are going to figure that out because they're smart and they're, they care about others and they're going to demand that people wear masks so that uh, they, they don't infect others. I think the, the, the ones that have been egregious violators have been some, sometimes these bigger companies that have mass production or, you know, the meatpacking right. scenario, that kind of scenario. And the Department of Labor in Washington, their job is to crack down on those kinds of abuses yeah. and demand that workers get protected. We've been calling for, for, for months now, not weeks, months, an emergency temporary standard the Department of Labor could could issue or promulgate, and that would be a standard that these uh, companies have to uh, adhere to to protect the workers. Because guess what? If you don't protect the worker, that's bad enough. That's a moral failing, but it's also a failing for the whole community. That worker is going to infect other right. people. So it's in everybody's interest that we have personal protective equipment and have other standards in place to I just, I, and I just want to mention one more thing that just a quick thought before we go to break but uh, for consumers uh, there's been a lot of uh, a lot of trouble for just your average everyday consumer a person to go out and purchase the things that can keep them healthy and keep them safe hand sanitizer disinfectants right I mean we, we have people who post it or call us and say oh it's here you one per person get it while you can um so it, it seems like we're asked to go back out right and and resume our normal lives even though it's a new normal but we're also not able to get 
our hands on the things that we need just as consumers. Right. Well, and that's what, again, I'll go back to the Defense Production Act. That's what that act is for, to give the president the opportunity or the, the power and the opportunity to mobilize the country from everything, from from hand sanitizer to masks to gloves to gowns. There's no, there's no excuse for the most powerful country in the history of the world to not have protective equipment for hospital workers. And as much as we've heard from the administration, oh, there's plenty of it, we still see surveys just last week in the Washington Post that said healthcare workers still aren't protected. So if they're not protected, you can just imagine even when you go down the list. So we have to mobilize like World War One, World War Two, where he said everything stops so that we can produce as much uh, of this protective equipment as possible. And guess what? This could be a new industry. People can make money producing this, and we should give them that opportunity to help their country. And we've had months where we could have been doing that, and that's what's really uh, just uh, the Absolutely. very sad situation. We bought time, and was it spent well? That's a, that's the big question. All right, uh, Senator Bob Casey, so we'll talk to you soon, okay? Nancy, thanks very much. And when Special Edition returns, you'll be hearing from U.S. Attorney for the Middle District of Pennsylvania, David Freed. He'll be discussing what can be done to prevent elder abuse. Don't go away. More Special Edition to come. Welcome back to Special Edition. We began Special Edition today by taking a look at what was happening during the coronavirus pandemic at nursing homes and other care facilities throughout Pennsylvania. Now we're going to take a look at something that can happen anytime, and that is elder abuse. U.S. Attorney for the Middle District of Pennsylvania, David Freed, joins Intercom's Frank Andrews on some signs that you can look for whether elder abuse is happening and what can be done. And on the line with us right now is the U.S. Attorney for the Middle District of Pennsylvania, David Freed, who, who wanted to talk a little bit about elder abuse related to COVID-19. Attorney Freed, thank you for joining us, sir. Uh, thanks for having me on again, Frank. It's a great pleasure. COVID-19 has been especially hard on our seniors. I mean, we, you know, that, that's one of the areas where we have seen people hit the hardest. And so when you, when you reminded us and told us about how people are victims of fraud related to this, it was even more than shocking. Tell us about it, sir. Yeah, so Frank, it's, it's an entry point. You know, um, think about previous uh, natural disasters or events like 9-11 and, uh, you know, where we see, you know, this country in particular and, and the world, you know, pour out their hearts to, to victims and open their wallets. Uh, uh, there's no more, no country more generous than the United States when, when things like that happen. Uh, at the same time, you know, fraudsters and scammers are going to use it as an entry point. Uh, they're going to use the fact that this pandemic is happening uh, to to come up with new scams uh, and to try to separate people, you know, from their hard-earned assets. And look, seniors are particularly vulnerable. Financial criminals associate seniors with money, and they associate them with being, you know, maybe less sophisticated in terms of technology. 
Uh, so you get a double whammy here, Frank. You get you got seniors who who face a higher risk of developing serious complications from COVID nineteen illness. We've all seen the disasters that have unfolded in our nursing homes, and according also to the CDC, seniors are, are now at higher risk of experiencing stress, you know, fear, worry, uncertainty, loneliness, and and scammers feed on those sorts of emotions. So it's it's you know it's it's well timed this year to have World Elder Abuse Awareness Day, World Elder Abuse Awareness week so that we can continue to to make the push uh, uh, for people to be vigilant and also to make reports. Can you give us some examples of some of the fraud that the uh, Justice Department in your office has been cracking down on? Sure. We've seen some, some fake cure and vaccine scams. I think right now vaccine scams are, are something we really need to be looking out for. You know, there's no FDA-approved vaccine. There's a lot of news about potential vaccines and vaccine research. So if you get a call or, or, or an email or a text, you know, selling cures or vaccines, uh, and often it's somebody contacting a senior directly with a sales pitch, you know, don't buy that product. Report that incident. Uh, and, and, and report to the hotlines, and, and we can go looking. You know, if they get, there are phishing emails that'll, use, that'll be used. People will pose as officials of the World Health Organization or somebody from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, just like they do with the IRS and Social Security scams, Frank. You know, they pose as a Social Security uh, employee or an IRS agent. You know, they're never going to contact you uh, in that manner. Uh, and those are the types of imposter scams. We've seen imposter scams with people posing as Medicare representatives to to offer free masks or gloves or hand sanitizers you know if you only click on this link and provide us some personal information uh, we can provide you with those free goods those are scams too finally you know unsolicited cell telephone calls and emails from folks as I said claiming to be IRS or Treasury employees you know to do with maybe some of these funds that are going out there uh, it doesn't work that way IRS first form of communication is by mail not by phone, they're not going to call you on the phone. Um, so, Frank, if you think about it, they're similar scams to what we've seen, but they're using COVID-19 as an entry point. Yeah, for sure. Now, I was surprised to find out that there that the Justice Department has a an elder fraud strike task force. What What is that, sir? So, one of the, one of the uh, uh, pillars, uh, really, uh, of, of priority for the Justice Department is pre- preventing and disrupting elder fraud. Um, so we've got the National Center for Disaster Fraud and the National Elder Fraud Hotline. Uh, we've got a, a dedicated task force uh, a clearinghouse around the country. So when people call these national hotlines, they determine where where the case is taking place and they send the case to the right place. And, and you know, very much a priority of former Attorney General Sessions and Attorney General Barr has kept on with that. Uh, one of the things that I think is important to get out there to the listeners, and and I say this when I'm speaking to groups, you know, in this area, Frank, you know, Pennsylvania is a great state, but it's an aging state, and and we have plenty of people who are potential victims here. When I get out and I'm talking to folks, you know, I want to really emphasize to, you know, get beyond the, 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 you know, there's embarrassment involved in this. Look, it happens to people every day all across the country. The last group I spoke to, I played them a voice message that I kept receiving 
somebody claiming to be with the IRS. You know, it happens to me. Luckily, I'm in this business, and I, and I know how to sniff out a scam uh, most of the time, but nobody's perfect. So we really want to get that message out, especially to the seniors. You know, make a report. We can investigate. And, and you know what? Sometimes they're ahead of us, Frank, but even if they are, we use that to build intelligence, and then ultimately we can take them down. Yeah, you know, Mark and I have, have uh, cautioned people that when they get uh, letters in the mail, sometimes the return address will look very official, but it's not. And we have, you know, we have been stressing, you got to make sure that you're dealing with the right source. And if you're in doubt, don't, because th- you're right, this area has been hit hard. Yeah, you're 100% right, Frank, and that's a, that's a great point. Uh, you know, you get those return addresses that looks like it's from the IRS or Social Security, something like that. I got a call the other day on my cell phone, and, you know, they mask uh, area codes to make it look like it's a local call. You know, I'm in 717. I get a call from 717, but it doesn't say where in 717. It just says United States. And, you know, what I tell people to do, and I think, the, and, and we're so ingrained, especially our seniors, to, you know, pick up that phone. People are trying to make contact with you. Uh, you know, if you don't know the number, don't answer it. You know, somebody can leave a message. There's always ways to get a hold of you. Absolutely. Now, h- how do people use the Elder Fraud Hotline, and what is the number, sir? Okay. So, so the National Elder Fraud Hotline, and this is the one that I would, I would recommend calling, it's one 1- Eight three three fraud eleven one eight three three fraud eleven launched by the Justice Department just this year. Uh, they can call that hotline, make a report, and like I said, it will be. Uh, it's a national hotline, but if they say this happened to me in in, in Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania, uh, it's going to be directed to the Middle District of Pennsylvania, and and it's already shown uh, a, a great level of success, and 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 we're hopeful it will be continued into the future. There's also disaster fraud hotline, but for elder fraud, I would suggest you know let's use that one eight three three fraud eleven because it's directly related to elder fraud. David Freed, U.S. Attorney, Middle District, thank you for joining us. Thank you for watching out for our most vulnerable citizens. Thank you, sir. Thanks for helping us get the word out, friend. Next up on Special Edition, we're going to switch gears just a little bit and find out what Luzerne County has in store for their summer concert series. And it just might be coming to a neighborhood near you. Dave Pedry, Luzerne County Manager, is on the line with us right now. David, thanks for joining us. Hi, good afternoon, guys. How are you? Good. You had a news conference this afternoon. Tell us all about this summer concert series. We did. Well, last year we had this huge Rock in the River summer concert series at the Riverfront um, uh, Millennium Circle. It was uh, three wonderful nights. Over 6,000 people attended, uh, and we were excited for this year, expand on, on that. Uh, however, unfortunately, like everything else in the pandemic, we had to cancel it. So we, we got to thinking and started getting creative and said, instead of doing this Rock in the River, we decided to do a Rock in the County. Uh, and this is a, a series of five free concerts that we're putting um, a band on the back of a truck. That truck will be going parade style through five different cities uh, of Luzerne County. You know, people are talking about curbside pickup and drive-throughs and everything along those lines. Well, we're bringing it to you. You don't gotta drive anywhere. Uh, we're bringing the music right to those right to, to residents of Luzerne County. Sit down, enjoy it, uh, enjoy a beverage, grab something to eat, and uh, you know, just enjoy uh, music and getting outdoors. And we're doing it safely, utilizing social distancing, uh, but. It's a good opportunity for the people to get out and about. Now, do you have a schedule yet? 
We do. Uh, on it, It's up on our website, LuzerneCounty.org, and on VisitLuzerneCounty.org as well from 6 p.m. to 7.30 every Friday. Uh, we're going to be in a different city. Uh, Wilkes-Barre, Hazleton, Pittston, Nanticoke, and Kingston 44. Um, all the way through August 7th. We have some great bands coming out, all local acts. Um, and, you know, most importantly, you know, Frank, the people have, have did such a phenomenal job fighting this pandemic in Luzerne County. We were the, the fifth highest uh, per capita at one point. Uh, we, just an opportunity to say thanks for what we're doing. Get out there and, and enjoy it because I'm sure everybody has had their, their fill of television and Netflix and those things, and they want to get out and about. Now, Dave, uh, just a couple of questions. The, the mayor of Scranton was on, and she said that all of a sudden she is anxious that people are dropping their guard, and she's concerned about the summer. What, what, what are your feelings? Yeah, absolutely. Listen, I see the same thing as, as uh, I, I echo her concerns when it comes down to things like when I see what's going on in Pittsburgh and some other cities as, uh, as well. But there is an ability to, for us to, to get out and maintain social distancing and utilize CDC guidelines. Uh, I'm a Little League coach. Um, I had, we had a scrimmage this, this weekend with my kids' Little League team. We utilized social distancing. Everybody wore masks. The people were spread apart. We used hand sanitizer. There's ways to do it and ways to do it safely. Um, and people need to not let their guard down yet uh, and say we're going back to normal. Uh, but I do think that there is an ability for us to get out there and enjoy uh, or outdoors especially. I agree. And the summer concert series sounds like a great idea. Thank you, David, for checking in with us. Thank you so much for having me on, guys. Now, don't go away. When Special Edition returns, we're going to find out who Intercom's Doc caught up with to get us all ready to go back to work. And we'll also hear from Stephen Shope. He is with the census. Yes, we are still counting. Don't go away. Special edition returns. Welcome back to special edition. Are you one of those people who are still working from home? Well, if not, you're one of those who have entered into a whole new realm of going to work. What it's like to go back after several months. Well, here at Intercom Communications, we have the same things happening. And Intercom's Doc Medic, Caught up with someone who can help us all get back into the swing of things. Jessie just came back for almost three months, I guess, or maybe even a little over. She was working from her home doing the show there. And um, last week was her first week here back in the studio. And it's a whole different animal. Like, we have plexiglass up between us and different rules about different parts. But here at the radio station, outside of um, who you hear on the radio, most of the staff behind the scenes are not here and working from their homes. And on with us now, Donna Siriani, who has a company called MovingForwardSeminars.com. And Donna, some people will be going back into the workplace. Some people nervous about it. What should they be expecting? Thank you, Doc. That's a, that's a great question. Um, a lot of people are reopening right now and going back to work. And I think that people are very concerned about the safety, about staying six feet apart and, and social distancing and the mask wearing, but I, which is very important. But I also think it's really important besides your workspace that your headspace is back to work, you know? Right. Because we've all gone through these crazy times and now we're like going from a place of uncertainty and we want to get back to certainty and feel good about going back to work. So I think there's like three areas in your mindset that it's important to address. So number one, address your fears. Find out the bathrooms, the building entrances, the safety um, that's there. Is there, uh, you know, do you wear a mask? Um, are you able to wash your hands? What, what are the things as far right. as safety that's, that you can make sure is in, intact? Number two is addressing your morale. 
So okay. it's important to reconnect with everybody after we've been gone for so long, you know, and now we're seeing people face to face again. So after being in isolation, just connect with people in the office and, and ask them about their experience, what they've gone through, what's their thoughts. And that's a really, really important thing. Lastly, um, what you can do as far as mindset is find purpose in your work again. You know, get yourself motivated again. And, you know, for so long, we haven't had really set goals because everything's been up in the air. But now that you're coming back to work, find daily goals that you can create and find weekly goals, create them and do them. And it gives you something to work toward and it gives you a little bit more certainty, which will ultimately make you feel better. My son works in Philadelphia and they're going through all, and, and right. I mean, it's a huge company, so they're dividing it up. They're actually doing teams and they went with colors. So the green team actually will be in this week and then the red team in next week. Right. Um, do you see a lot of that happening in businesses across the country? Yeah, I mean, people are, some people, they're kind of breaking up their um, employees when they come into work, like you just said, to kind of minimize crowding in the office space, which I think is good for right now. Let me ask you this, Don. A lot of uh, parents who are listening right now who have kids that would be daycare. In fact, a lot of people, are they worried about that? Yeah, I mean, that's, it's real, that's really a common concern is child care. So, I mean, what you have to do with that is you have to feel comfortable, you know, talk with the owner of the, of the daycare right. facility and make sure they're doing the right thing. See if they have cameras that maybe you could check in so that way you feel a little bit more at ease where, you know, you can see your child there. Mm-hmm. But it's really up to you to talk with the owners and to make sure that they're abiding by the guidelines and there's a way that you could connect with them or even see a child throughout the day, like I said, possibly with a camera to give you a little more peace of mind. Donna, for people that want to follow you, get more information, how do they do that? My website is movingforwardseminars.com. I do go into companies and help them with the mindset of employees after COVID. So if you work at a company and this is something that you feel you want to have in, I'd be happy to talk with you. And I also do one-on-ones as well. People just getting their life back on track yeah. after all this and getting their mindset in the right place. So I'm happy to help. Well, Donna, thank you so much for giving us time this morning. I appreciate it. You are so welcome. We're going to all get through this. We're going to be okay. With all the different things that have been happening over the past few months, one of those which might have been going to the wayside is answering your census questionnaire. But it's still important. A couple of weeks ago, I I received a call from someone who said, would it be possible for you to interview a representative from the United States Census? Because we really need to make sure people understand that. And I said, absolutely. And on the line with us right now is Stephen Shope. He is a supervisory partnership specialist. Stephen, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. How about starting out by, I mean, it, it all, it's something that we have said a million times, but just so people can pay attention to hear it, why is the census important? Why should we care? Well, uh, it's important for a lot of reasons. Uh, it was written into the Constitution as the way in which we uh, ensure that we have equal representation across the state. So uh, the, the data collected in 2020 is going to determine congressional representation for states for the next 10 years. Uh, but something that hits a little closer to home for a lot of folks is uh, census data also determines how nearly $700 billion in federal funding gets distributed to states and communities for everything from uh, school lunches, the libraries, the roads, infrastructures, hospitals, schools, uh, very few things that aren't in one way or another touched by census data when it comes to uh, getting funds distributed. So it touches a lot of lives. Now, is the census this year all online? 
No, but it is the first time uh, that folks can choose to go online to respond, but they still have the option of uh, using a paper form, and they can also call a, a toll-free number to respond over the phone. Okay, I, and you know, one of, one of my concerns when it comes to the census, because you just talked about how important it is, and I, and I understand that, is that it kind of got put on the back shelf because of COVID and because of everything else that's happening, but it is something people need to pay attention to. I got my card in the mail weeks and weeks and weeks ago and immediately you know filled out my card for the census what what if people got it didn't pay attention to it what do they do now well anybody who has uh, access to the internet can at any time go online to 2020census.gov and respond online for their household um but uh 95% 95% of households in America received the form or received a, some kind of invite through the mail like you did, uh, usually multiple invites, and then ultimately they receive a paper form in the mail that they can fill out and return. Uh, but there's 5% of the households that don't have city-style addresses or receive mail at a P.O. box or any number of things that would prevent us from sending those things in the mail. And for those folks... Uh, we go out and we hand deliver a, a packet to the to those uh, households, um, and so as you said, with COVID nineteen, you know a lot of things were put on hold, and we we had to place a pause on our operations. And that operation where we uh, hand delivered packets was one of those operations that we put a pause on. We did recently resume that in May. We've completed that operation. So at this point, um, I think it's safe to say that any household that's going to receive the forms or the invite in the mail or hand delivered that that's already happened so if somebody is concerned that they didn't receive something uh and there's always a good chance that a household received it and threw it away there's still two safety nets one is they can they can go online and respond they can call the telephone number and respond uh, or we have our final and largest operation called non-response follow-up, and any household that hasn't responded will start sending the enumerators out, knock on their door, and conduct the survey right there on their doorstep. Is there is there a, a deadline? Does this thing stop at some point? Uh, it will stop. Um, uh, we've got uh, still several weeks yet that people have the ability to respond. Uh, we encourage people the sooner the, the better because uh, really – you know, just 10 minutes of their time is going to impact their community for 10 years. So uh, the sooner the better. Um, and if you, if, you, if you haven't responded, be receptive of the numerators when they come out to the, to the door. Do you, do you have any idea what the response rate has been like for, uh, for Pennsylvania, for northeastern Pennsylvania? Yeah, absolutely. And we're seeing, you know, we track and certainly anybody in the public can go online to our website, 2020census.gov, and there's an online uh, response rate tracker. It's usually within a day or two uh, that, that um, you can find results. Um, but it was, I think, one of the one of the benefits of COVID nineteen was that people were at home and they had time and they were able to go online. And so we were seeing really good response rates uh, in most places in Pennsylvania. And just to give you some numbers, uh, right now the national self response rate is sixty one point four percent. Pennsylvania is doing 64.7%, which is even better. And then when you look at counties like Luzerne, Luzerne's at 60.9, Lackawanna's at 61.3. So it, it's looking pretty good. I mean, they're they're keeping up with uh, right there with the, the state and uh, real close to national and some are even above national. So it's, it's looking pretty good. There's still some work to be done. We know there's still households that haven't responded, so we encourage them to do so. 
Can you, I mean, can you tell people, I mean, I know this because I, I, I already did mine, but the kind of questions that they're going to be answered, it's, it's not in any way an invasion of privacy. It's just basic information. But for people who are concerned, like, what are they going to see when they do their census? Sure. The primary information, other than establishing uh, your address, and if you have one of those forms you received in the mail, uh, that has a unique ID on it that you can punch in that will that'll cover that base for you. But really, it's just asking for names, birth dates, um, sex, male or female, and, and a little bit about your, your ethnic and racial uh, composition of your household. Um, and and that's, that's the most of what you know they're asking for. So it is, like as you said, it's non-evasive, um, and it only takes a few minutes for somebody for their entire household to fill that form out. Is there any other information that we need to get out to people, something that I didn't ask you that you would like to share? Uh, just that we are with that. The non-response follow-up operation is the largest operation that we conduct. And uh, we're still accepting applications. If anybody's interested in working for the United States Census, they can apply online at 2020census.gov forward slash jobs. You fill out a single application and you'll be in a pool and, you know, folks will give you a call and ask you if you're interested in a particular job. If you're not, you can decline it or you can accept it and, and be part of the team. But uh, either come to work for us. But in any case, uh, if you're unsure if your household has filled out a form, just go online and fill it out again. We have we have measures to catch it if there would happen to be a duplicate. But um it's so important, and it's tied to so many important things. Now, you also you also mentioned a toll-free number. What is it, and why? how would we use it? And, you know, I've had some technical issues getting into my laptop and don't have that number right in front of me at the moment, but it is at 2020census.gov. Maybe you could share that with your listeners, or we could email that to you. No, we'll, we'll, we'll punch it up here, and we'll get it to them. Stephen, thanks for joining us. Let's hope that we get a full census count in Pennsylvania. Thank you for your help. Thanks for listening to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personalities shaping the stories, a production of Intercom Communications. Odyssey celebrates Mother's Day, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network.